You told me this is bad. I know it is. This is this is very bad. I was manifesting before it was cool. She is a lawyer, but that doesn't mean you should listen to her right now. Fight ghosting with gaslighting. Situation. This should be on a t-shirt. I don't understand why you are getting so upset. My voice isn't right. Why are you so? Okay, dope rhyme slinger. Good advice giver. Listen for a second. Let me try and paint a picture. What's up, everybody? This is Bad Advice Wednesdays, the show where we give bad advice to your questions with zero context and hopefully try not to ruin your life. If we accidentally give you good advice, I apologize. That was not our intention, but it does happen sometimes. It sometimes slips through, and I have a feeling that might happen with uh, today's guest. Uh, today, we have Eliza Orleans. I ended up becoming friends on with Eliza a few years back now. On I think it was, it's been about two years. Uh, we connected pretty early on when we both had somewhat small accounts on, on TikTok. Got to know her. Wonderful, wonderful person. But I know her. But before we give bad advice with each other, I think it's important for you all to get to know her. So um, from your mouth, Eliza, if somebody were to stumble onto your social media media accounts, what should they be prepared for? What are they going to see? Oh, my gosh. I am always raging about injustice in the world. So that's, I think, my number one niche. But I'm a career public defender and I'm often on the walk to court, just talking about the different issues that come up in my day-to-day life. We're going to go rewind back in time a little bit. So before you were a public defender, you were on Survivor, right? Or you were on multiple Survivors, right? Which ones were you on, just to give people context? Gosh, it was so long ago, but I appeared on Survivor Vanuatu um, when I was 21 years old back in 2004. Yes, I am 40. Um, and then I appeared on um, Survivor Micronesia Fans versus Favorites in 2008. That was season 16. So season 9 and 16 of Survivor. Um, and then CBS calls me and I don't know how to say no. So they asked me to be on a season of Amazing Race, which I also did. <laughs> awesome. Well, how, what is the process? So you're, you're 21 or maybe even 20 at the time when you're, you see this call, I guess I'm assuming, for Survivor, for people that want to be on Survivor. How did you get onto the first show? So I don't know if it was if you're in the right age range or if you watched that first season of Survivor with tens of millions of other people. That is the old that is literally no offense. That's the only season I've ever seen. Most people are on the same boat. You know, it's that was that summer Survivor was huge. And I was I think I was 16 years old and I watched with my family and I watched the first episode of the first season. And I turned to my mom and I said, Mom. I'm going to be on that show. And she said, of course you are, sweetheart. You can do anything. And now she tells people, hey, you better be careful what you tell your kids because they believe you. And <laughs> and I waited, you know, I waited four years until I was old enough to apply. And less than one month after my 21st birthday, I filmed my audition video um, on the front porch of my sorority house at Syracuse where I was attending college. And I sent it in on a VHS tape. That's how long the <laughs> it was. Uh, FedExed it in to um, to the casting, you know, to, to Los Angeles. And um, I, I ended up getting selected. Um, but it was something that had been a goal from seeing the first episode of the first season. So it wasn't like, oh, maybe this is this random thing I should do. No, I was manifesting before it was cool. Okay. So this was years in the making. This was, this was, oh, yes. this was happening. Okay. <laughs> it was in my instant messenger bio, my AI and instant messenger bio. I wrote future survivor nine contestant. So I tell people I was manifesting before it was cool because I had it on the whole, <laughs> knowing that I would be eligible to apply for season nine and then ultimately getting cast for season nine, which was so, so exciting. And boy, was I a little just 21 year old idiot because, um, 
now when people are like, should I go on reality TV? I'm like, well, think about the repercussions for the rest of your life. Sticking with with getting on this, what was so special about your audition tape? Like, what did you do to get noticed? It's so embarrassing because like, it's so out of character. It's not a thing that I do. But I got on there and I did a an impression. It's not a thing I do. I don't do impressions. And I did an impression of Marissa Tomei from My Cousin Vinny, one of my favorite speeches. And then I just talked about myself and how great I was and how smart I was and how much I loved Survivor and all these things and how, how great I was going to be on the show. And then, you know, this is January in Syracuse, New York. So I'm in the snow. I'm in this big jacket, hat, Ugg boots. And I then take off my jacket and I'm in a bikini in the snow, like just, you know, being ridiculous. But it worked. So you, so you, they, they cast you. Uh, and then what's the process like after that? Is it a long process or do they fly you out right away or has the, oh, yeah. the casting process is long. It starts with, well, it used to be, I had to have semifinal interviews. So then I came down to here to Manhattan, uh, for semifinal interviews. And then, um, a few months after that flew out to Los Angeles for finals where they flew out, you know, maybe a few dozen people, probably around 50 people. Um, and then, you do interviews, in-person interviews with all of the executive producers, with the host, with the casting director. Um, you do IQ tests, psych testing. You know, you meet with the show doctors. Um, then they take you to CBS. I met with Les Moonves and, and the CBS executives and then finally was cast and then left a couple months after that, filmed. And then the show aired the fall of my senior year of college. I guess the other question is how real is what's going on in the island like do they i know because i have a friend that was on the real world and i know on that show they made them like reshoot some scenes sometimes that were that were originally real but they needed them to be like to look a little bit better for the camera and stuff like what what's survivor like there are no reshoots everything is completely real the moment jeff says all right you know on ready survivors go like you're on and that's it the the cameras are on you 24 7 from that point forward the show is on there are no reshoots and it's all real. The only moments that you don't see that you'll never see is, you know, being transported from places, mm-hmm. um, which I think most viewers know about at this point, which is like they'll show us like walking out for tribal council, but then we'll be put in a boat or a car or whatever and and taken to where tribal council is. Um, and we we don't speak. There's no strategizing. There's nothing you're missing because we're on complete, you know, they would call it gag order. Everything else is real. I mean, it's real. I lost 20 pounds on the show. Wow. You know, like I was starving. I was miserable. Um, you're really suffering. I actually think the show doesn't, it's not that interesting to just watch people suffer. So they don't show that as much. But yeah, it's real. How accurately do you think you and like the people there, at least in the ones you had experienced with, how accurately were you represented in the final cut of the show? Listen. <laughs> Reality TV editing still is editing. I mean, and but I'm never going to be one of those people who's complaining about the edit. You know, they can't show something that didn't happen. And they're trying to make an engaging show. They're trying to build people into certain characters. So is it a more one dimensional or two dimensional portrayal versus the 3D human that you actually are? Sure. But I think that, you know, people who go back and watch my seasons you know, they get a portion of me and in some ways it's accurate, in some ways it's not as accurate. But but I think that ultimately people see what a fighter I am. They see me as like the scrappy underdog who everyone's out to get and who manages to keep kind of surviving. Um, so I'm not I'm not unhappy with 
ultimately the portrayal in both my seasons. So it is still it's still aspects of your personality, just maybe not your full essence of, of Eliza, right? Exactly. So you were on Survivor and then you fast forward to today, you were on Manhattan Public Defender. And like what how did that happen? What was that transition like? Or what was that journey like to where you are now? It's actually funny because people say, did going on Survivor change your life? And in many ways it did. But the trajectory of my life was already pretty much set. Mm. I uh, took my LSATs maybe two weeks before I flew out for Survivor. I knew I was going to go to law school. I knew I was going to be a public defender already. Um, that was my, you know, that was a, a goal I had set, just like being on Survivor, where I, I had made this decision and this was something that was absolutely already kind of predetermined. It was going to happen and I knew it. Um, so I, you know, got off the show. I, went directly to law school after I graduated college. Uh, and then after law school, the only job I applied for was was at my current office, the public defender's office here in New York City. So it was it was just kind of a it was my path. Obviously it's it's you do still carry with you a celebrity status, you know, just from having been on that show because there's so many eyes, even even if it's not as big as season one, right? It's still millions upon millions of people know who you are and know at least of you, right? Has that ever um, conflicted or, or gotten in the way of your job as a public defender? So, no, I don't think it's gotten in the way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, funny enough, my social media, because you asked me at the very beginning, what do I talk about? And I'm, I mainly talk about just criminal justice. I talk about, I talk about the, my work. Um, I actually made a separate TikTok for survivor stuff because I didn't want to confuse the algorithm and have them, you know, and so I, I really built my social media platform. Yes, maybe like at, first people followed me because I was that girl from Survivor but the reason why people stayed or and the reason why I've grown it is because of talking about work so so I think now I'm almost you know there's there's almost equal footing that people know me because I'm a career public defender who ran for Manhattan DA versus who was on Survivor uh at least in terms of my online presence and you know, I think that running for office as someone who appeared on a reality TV show has a an interesting stigma, especially given the former occupant of our White House. Uh, so I think that that was something that I had to like a little bit overcome and get people to understand that this is a job I've done for almost 14 years and, and how serious I am versus people just writing me off as a reality TV person. So I think in that way, maybe there is some element of it was a, a, an obstacle for me. Now, I know running for public office is terrifying to me. Did your your experience kind of already in the public eye help prepare you for that experience or for, for that run? Definitely. I think that in some ways, people who run for office aren't necessarily prepared for how hard it's going to be and how horrible people are going to be to you. And I have gotten so much hate on the internet since I was 21 years old that I am really prepared for any of it. Um, I've been getting nasty messages or having horrible trolls say mean things about me on the internet for decades. So it doesn't really affect me in the ways that I think some first-time candidates are really shocked because it's the first time they're appearing publicly and, and that they've always been well-liked in their life. And so they don't have the experience of having that really nasty criticism by people who don't know you personally 
online. Was there was there still anything that did shock you though, even with that experience, even with people dragging you online from from Survivor and stuff? What was I guess what you, you nodded obviously right there. What what was it that still took you off guard or that you weren't prepared for? People have called me a relentless optimist in my life. I wouldn't say I'm Pollyanna about anything. In fact, I'm kind of dark and cynical. But I, I, I'm a relentless optimist in that I wake up every day and do this really hard job and I truly believe I can make a difference. Otherwise, I probably couldn't continue doing it. So I think that that kind of optimism extended to democratic politics. You know, we're not talking about the Republican side. I was running in a democratic primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I kind of thought that democratic politics, your your views, your history, your you know, your ethics, your morals, all of those things would matter the most. And I am so unwavering on my commitment to these issues. And other people were lying and being deceitful and just saying things that were untrue or misrepresenting things. And there was some, you know, there was a billionaire trying to buy the race. And it's just all the things people think about on the Republican side I just was kind of shocked and appalled to see how endorsements work and how insider politics and and all of these things work as this kind of upstart insurgent candidate who was really doing this on grassroots donations. And it was just kind of disillusioning and shocking. And I, I think it's interesting you brought up the idea that being an eternal optimist, I think on the left, right? And, and I, cause I get the same thing. We believe things can get better, right? I think those of us that want the critique stuff, they get angry about stuff. It's because we know there's an alternative, right? If, if I think it's the the opposite. The pessimist will be the one that's just complacent. My favorite abolitionist, Maria Makaba, says hope is a discipline. Mm, that's great. It's my, it, I live by it. You know, you, you can't just, you can't give up hope. Even if you think things are getting worse or there are dark days ahead, whatever, you can't stop fighting. Well, that, I think that's a beautiful transition now to the, the sillier side of our, our podcast. I think we got to know you pretty well. Uh, and I think just the, the warning again for my audience, this point forward is sanctioned as bad advice. All right. And so if, if you if you decide to listen to anything and you can back me up on this, I don't know if this there is an actual legal precedent here. Legally, you can't get mad at us. Right. Because because <laughs> we are telling you not to listen to us. This is not legal advice. Right. This is not legal advice. She is a lawyer, but that doesn't mean you should listen to her right now because we're telling you not to. Exactly. How do I get out of jury duty? You should say, I love the cops. You should say, police officers would never tell a lie. They're the most honest human beings. They serve and protect. And I love them. And I respect them back the blue. And that is, but that's real advice. Is there something that you've seen where you're immediately like, if someone says that for you as public defender, like if somebody did say what you just said right now, I'll strike them. You'll strike them, right? So so I yeah. guess there is a there is a but that's actually good advice. It's just right. the opposite advice that I would give, which is, you know, when I tell people to get off the jury, I say, like, oh, you should say, you know, I have a dear friend who's a public defender, the system is racist, it, you know, it, it's unjust. And blah, blah, blah. I tell them the opposite side, but it's still actually accidentally good advice. Although I know I, I asked, and this is me putting like uh behind the scenes here. I I, I had to serve or I, I got called in for jury duty a few about a month ago. And I asked and Eliza was like, no, but we need good people on juries. <laughs> uh, and, and that is an important thing. I think I, I, I forget that. 
right? These are real people with real lives. And if the only people that are willing to serve on these juries are people that um, are, I guess, excited about it or, or, or that don't have anything else to do, then um, maybe that's not the best, uh, the best selection of peers for uh, to, to be deciding their future. Exactly. And jury nullification is an option. You can nullify a jury. You can, you can, you know, Google jury nullification. I should have worn my Google jury nullification shirt, but no, alpha female. What's the most absurd thing you've ever, I don't know if you can talk about this. What's the most absurd thing you've seen someone say or do to try to get out of jury duty? I guess the one that stands out to me was a woman who, and honestly, I don't even know if this is her trying to get out of jury duty. I don't know if she was serious. I don't know, whatever. But the judge was like, you have to go. She was like, it just, she's like, it feels like the defendant is entitled to, um, you know, adequate representation. And I don't feel like he's getting that. And we were all like, what? And and he's, she's like, well, you know, his defense attorney is just so bad. She's such a bad lawyer. I just don't respect her at all. And just like went off about me. And I was like, wow. oh. like it was shocking. And I was just really not expecting it. Um, because, you know, say you could say what you want about me, but I'm, I'm really good at my job. And if anything, though, you might want her to stay on there. You're going to get that pity vote, right? For uh, <laughs> She feels so bad for your client for having to have this wonderful lawyer. Question number two. I snore so badly that my husband can't sleep. What should I do? Oh, you should stab him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> from from a lawyer, that was not the question. The bad advice I was expecting. You told me this is bad advice. I know it is. This is this is very bad. And remember, this is legally we told you not to do it. That sounds like the, a him problem. It does sound like that. I mean, yeah. Sleep. I mean, you go there's that'll yeah. Uh, I I think another option would be um, figuring out training your snoring to sound like singing. Maybe you know, maybe maybe figuring out. I don't know if that's a something people can do, but I think if you could eventually or get a, hip, a hypnotist to convince him that snoring is like the sound of the ocean but violence i think is always the answer so uh i think probably that's that's the better way to go (laughs) question number three in today's modern dating world how do you handle not getting ghosted or how do you handle getting ghosted how do you handle getting ghosted is you should just figure out where the person lives look them up and just um just show up at their home and uh and just confront them and you should, you know, physically attack them if necessary. But I think just... people appreciate that because then you you get it all out, you get the aggression out, and that's going to lead to, uh, a, I think, a longer, happier relationship in the long run. Exactly. Make them love you. Tie them up. Put them in a cage in your apartment. Mm-hmm. Let them out at times. Uh, but say, you know, you will love me. What I think could be fun to do, right? And this might, might actually be leaning, almost leaning toward good advice is just continue texting them as if they're responding for for months. Just freak them out. Like, oh, that's so funny. Anyways, I'll see you later today. And and there's no no response. And then just keep on going. It was so fun seeing you last night. So they think you're, it could freak them out, right? Gaslight them into. Fight ghosting with gaslighting. Yeah. That should be on a t-shirt. Let's see. I'm in a new relationship. How do I not ruin it? Okay. So number one. There's no such thing as coming on too strong. No such thing. So definitely, you know, call text every moment of the day. Cry hysterically if you don't get a response within 15 to 30 seconds. Of course. Um, 
you know, interesting. They should be waiting. They should be waiting. They're anticipating your needs. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Introduce your family as soon as possible. Um, You know, bring them into all and any family drama that you might have. Mm. Make sure they, you know, this is someone who you're going to be with forever. So they should know all of the things um, that they're getting into. And um, that definitely won't ruin it. Although, you know, it's funny that uh, that basically describes my actual dating life. Really? <laughs> I I was the I'm such a trauma dumper. And I know that I've, I found out later in life that it's like ADHD related and it never ended like it was it was fine. I never had anybody run away or anything, but I unloaded and, and I, I didn't know about it until I my wife, I guess, stuck around for a very long time. And those were just I was just sharing stories from my past without without any uh, idea that it would cause somebody to uh they, they came from a more comfortable background to be shocked by it i am surprised that that i am in a long-term relationship because that was yeah. literally my biggest issue was that i would just unload there was no secrets that date one was I over an overshare yeah yeah i'm an overshare <laughs> i guess i just am an overshare i try to like make people comfortable by just putting everything out there at the very least, if they like you, they're they're probably going to stick with you, and they know what they're. And there's no surprises then at that point, right? You can't be accused of uh, of hiding anything about yourself, right? Exactly, Eliza. What's the best way to get over a crush? So the best way to get over a crush is to get under a new one. Ooh. No, that's good advice. Is that that's, good advice? Is it? I don't know. It might be good. It's teetering on on the edge of good advice. Yeah, that probably is the good bad advice. The bad good advice. I don't know, because I do think that if you really want to get over the crush, it's just move on to the next. Or maybe hire a detective or some of the it could be like the FBI friend of the group and you really dig deep, right? You go you go deep into their history, their family, and then you find something that you can hate and latch on to yeah. that. Let that be everything you know about them and just focus. No, that's too good advice. That's good advice, though. Well, it's the kind of stalking part. probably yeah i guess i guess <laughs> leading people towards stalking is probably not the best advice <laughs> but no but you know what that does border on good advice because i think sometimes finding an ick finding something about the person that that just is like look mm-hmm. and just replay that in your mind let that don't forget that let that be something that you replay over and over yeah that's that might be good advice should i do an international long distance relationship definitely i mean it's you're not at the you're not going to get sick of each other. Right. Right. Um, I think maybe a discussion of polyamory ahead of time might be a good idea. Monogamy at all costs. Oh, mono- okay. I'm so sorry. Yes, you're right. You're right. All right mono- a monogamous international relationship. You see each other once a year, maybe twice. <laughs> <laughs> and And you're living your best life for the rest of the year. And imagine how intense those meetups are going to be, though. Exactly. Plus... Vacation. I mean, it's true. It's true. You don't go for a hotel. Hotel is the most expensive part of a trip. You can get cheap airfare places. You know, eventually you can move into the not ruining your new relationship portion of demanding that they just meet all your needs, that they abandon all their friends and family and that move they move to your place. Okay, so you're playing the long game here. You get them attached. You get them really, really thinking this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And at that point, you're like, okay, now this is done. Unless you succumb to my needs, unless you do what I say. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's, no compromises ever. I see no problems with that. Yeah. Would you rather have a person in your attic or 1,000 roaches in your kitchen? Ooh, I really don't like roaches. 
Well, it depends. Like, who's the person? Do I get to choose? I, I have a feeling it's just, you know, someone's up there, but you don't see them. You go to look, like you go up, you hear a noise and you go up there and you're like, someone was here. I kind of, I was never afraid of ghosts because I always kind of was excited about the prospect of mm. ghosts and I felt like I would befriend them. So if there's a person in my attic, I mean, I'm an extroverted extrovert. Like, mm. why can't they be my new bestie? Well, but I think I think then it's just a roommate. No, it's like a, a, a an interloper. It's not someone who's paying rent. It's like a person. That is true. Okay. But you're okay with them being there as long as they're nice. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Just so so befriend the person in your attic. Okay. And then decide you're going to make a, you want a relationship with them. Okay. And new husband. And you, and you don't have to worry about if you can like, handle living with each other because you already got that out of the way. Hey, honestly, you're 100% right though because I don't think I can handle a thousand roaches. I, under no circumstances. Well, you're right. No. The per- the person in my in my in my uh, in my attic, whatever, it's fine. You're so friendly. I bet they would love you. <laughs> Maybe it's true. Maybe that could be my new best friend. Have you ever tried pickling? And if so, what's your favorite thing to pickle? I have not tried pickling. Me neither. <laughs> the, here's the, the only thing pickled I think tastes good are pickles. There's there's no such thing as something that wouldn't be better pickled. Uh, but I think we're gonna have a firm disagreement here, Eliza. <laughs> Any vegetable, any vegetable is more delicious after being soaked in vinegar. I mean, I will, we will have to agree to disagree. I, I, it's, it's very weird. I also have a weird relationship with pickles. I will eat an entire jar of pickles and I don't like pickles on anything else. I, I just like them by themselves. You put them on a burger. I think it's disgusting. You put it on like relish. It's gross. Delicious. I don't understand how I can like something so much by itself and hate it everywhere else that it exists. There's very little context for this question. Okay. It's how do I apologize after that? And it's all exclam it's all capital letters and exclamation points. You don't. Apologies are for losers. You say sorry, not sorry. I'm not sorry. Don't be sorry. Never apologize. Stand your ground. Tell people to go fuck themselves. Mm, and make them apologize. At, at a certain point, yeah. right? There had to be something so absurd that I think you could if you play your cards right they might stop believing it actually even happened, right? They, they they might believe that this 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 whole scenario was entirely in their head. You might even just ghost this topic and just move on with your life. And when they bring it up, exactly. be like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Never, just, if you just pretend it didn't happen, it didn't. It's it did. in their mind. Mm-hmm. And eventually, if you have ADHD, you might actually genuinely forget that it actually happened. Exactly. I hope we solve that person's dilemma. There you go. No apologies. Yes. No apology necessary ever. Oh, I tell people to apologize no matter what. I'm like, even if you're not sorry. I think I've apologized during this show at least a dozen times already. So it's, <laughs> I am a, I am genuinely a chronic, but like too much so. Like it's, it's the first thing I say. And even, even if I know I'm 100% did not do anything wrong, I'm just, I'm so sorry. I, it's probably, I, maybe it is my fault. Um, and I just immediately yeah. go toward Someone it. Someone bumps into me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. I should have seen that I was in your path. Let's do one last question. And I think this is a good one for you as well as a lawyer. What is the best way to debate with closed-minded people? Uh, always yell at them. Or raise your voice. Get them on the defensive right away. In- immediately. Always raise your voice because having a raised voice always means you're winning. The louder person is winning. Um, I see and- that on cable news a lot. When they, the, the louder people, I'm always like, that person seems really intelligent. Right, that's the person I wanted to take my advice from. I would say, if you can, attack them personally, mm. even if it's about an, an issue that's more you know, general. Make sure to attack them for their identities, for who they are. Okay. Um, 
you know, definitely as much like ad hominem as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, insult insults laced with insults. All of the debate should be just anything that's personal. Call them an idiot, um, a moron, stupid, um, you know, as as much as possible, because I think that uh, always opens people's minds when you're debating. Instead of kind of circumventing the shield they're putting up, you just beat that shield into a pulp, right? Nice. With with you verbally kind of just assault the shield until eventually they open up and they listen to you. Exactly. And so, you know, don't bother with facts. Don't bother with with any data. Always feelings. Always feelings. Reasonable. But be sure to call your feelings facts. Right. That's important. Right. Um, and then, you know, if you want, if the the raised voice thing isn't working, you could do this thing um, that I learned about, which is uh, called uh, performative rationality. So all of a sudden you just start speaking very softly mm-hmm. and you speak to them and you say, you say the most outrageous things, but you say it in this soft voice and you say, I don't understand why you are getting so upset. My voice isn't right. Ra- why are you so, why are you so upset? You know, and you just... You be the rational one. So if, if the raised voice thing isn't for you, try this performative rationality thing. Um, Jordan Peterson does it really well. So definitely watch some of his videos to um, really nail this topic and and this way of, of speaking to people, especially if you are um, if you're a man and you're speaking to a woman, it's it's especially useful. And you say, I don't understand why you're getting so emotional. You know, if you could just remain calm. Women love that. Right? In my experience, they they love to hear that. Exactly. I mean, I certainly love that when people tell me to calm down or uh, or or why am I getting so upset? Why am I so emotional? You know, and but but still ask the questions in such a way that it's clear that you are provoking them. But but you just stay calm and then you're sure to win every argument with a closed minded person. And that's from a lawyer. So from a lawyer. And, and I think that's a wonderful way to end the show today. Well, Eliza, uh my last warning and a repeat warning for everyone watching at home or listening on the podcast uh remember do not listen to us we we were intentionally giving you bad advice and and i don't i don't want to ruin your life if you want good advice if you want good advice you can you can go check out my actual advice on my social media i'm eliza orleans on uh tiktok and twitter and e orleans on instagram and uh if you want to find me remember i'm the speech prof everywhere um i do try attempt to give good advice sometimes it goes well sometimes it doesn't in, in, in uh the interwebs but uh i think that's i think that's it then we're good to go well thank you for joining us eliza thank you for having me this was so much fun and that was bad advice on a wednesday if you enjoyed today's show please like please subscribe share it with your friends drop a five-star review you can always support us financially at patreon.com slash the speech prof all links of everything we talked about will be available in the show notes and most importantly remember this is intended to be bad advice please do not listen to anything we said i'm sorry okay dope rhyme slinger good advice giver Listen for a second, let me try and paint a picture. Raises coming up and you want your check bigger. Moving quiet just won't get you seen. Your boss a clicker, uh.